The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hey, how many of you guys uh, have a love-hate relationship with fill-in-the-blanks? Anybody, anybody a fill-in-the-blanker? What, what, what's your? I had a boss one time, and uh, he was a fill-in-the-blanker. He everything we did was fill-in-the-blanks. We show up at staff meeting, we have fill-in-the-blanks. We'd have leadership trainings, we'd have fill-in-the-blanks. We'd have reports that were due, they were fill-in-the-blanks. He just loved filling in the blanks. I, he was a great boss, and uh, so I developed this love-hate relationship with fill-in-the-blanks because I had to do it all the time, and. Uh, I think all of us in here have a different relationship with fill in the blanks. Um, and, I, and I think I can describe at least everybody in here by one of three ways. Um, how many of you guys in the room are, are OCD? How many OCD friends in the house? Okay. All right. OCD friends in the house. You, you, you when you have a fill in the blank, um, <clears throat> you want the the blank filled in. You don't care what the word is. You just want the blank filled in, right? And so when you come across the fill in the blank, you're like, it doesn't matter what the word is. I just need to have my blank filled in because I'm going to cross every T, dot every I. How many of you guys... Um, have ever taken a dispersonality profile? Anybody ever taken a dispersonality? You have? Wow, okay, it's surprising. So on the dispersonality profile, there is a C. Some of you guys are high Cs. My wife is a high C. I would venture to say most women in this room are high Cs because C stands for correct, okay? Um, OCD friends in the house, you just want a blank filled in. The high Cs in the room, you not only want a blank filled in, you want the right word filled in the blank, right? So the OCD friends are like, uh, did he say destructive or constructive? What was that? Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to fill in the blank. High C's, you want the word and the blank filled in at all times. Now, how many of my friends in the house are procrastinators? How many of you guys are procrastinators? <laughs> yes, I, I thought about you when I wrote this sermon, as a matter of fact. <laughs> procrastinators in the house are like blanks. What blanks? I'm going to throw these notes away anyway, right? Like, why do we even need to fill in the blanks, right? I think all of us fit into one of those three categories when we talk about filling in the blanks. And, um, and, and this morning, in our series on uncommon joy, we come to this passage in Philippians chapter 1, and Paul gives us this occasion to fill in a blank. Um, I believe the blank that we fill in and what we fill it in with is the key to experiencing uncommon joy. And so we've been in this series now for two weeks. This is the third. We've got a few more weeks to go. And I believe if we miss today, then we will miss the remainder of what it means to experience uncommon joy. And so today, you've got a blank to fill in, however you feel about filling in the blanks. And I want to say you can't cheat off your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, you can't go, uh, you can't fill in your blank based on what a friend or a family member wrote in the blank today. But all of us have to fill in this blank that Paul is going to give us. He filled in his own blank. And the question for us today is how are we going to fill in this blank? And all of us do it either consciously or subconsciously. So let's figure out what this fill in the blank is today. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 20, this is what Paul says. Now, don't forget the background. If you've not been here the last two weeks, Paul is in prison. He's writing to his friends at the church of Philippi. And he's talking about his experience in prison. He's encouraging his friends in Philippi. And this is what he says. I eagerly, I, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed. By the way, I believe all of us in this room have hopes and dreams. And Paul's speaking here about his hopes and his dreams. And listen to what he says. 
I eagerly expect and I hope that in no way will I be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. If you know the background here, Paul's in prison. He's probably, um, he's facing one of two options. The option is he's either going to lose his life, they're going to cut his head off literally, or he's going to be acquitted. And so Paul is facing this dilemma, and he's writing to his friends in Philippi. And I think it's important for us this morning, before we get to the blank, Paul is saying, I have hopes, just like you have hopes. I have dreams, just like you have dreams. But Paul is acknowledging this morning, and he's making a definitive statement about his future hopes. And he says, my future hopes are unrelated to my circumstances. Oh, by the way, don't you remember, I'm in prison. It's not related to my health. They're not related to my stuff, and I am not fearful that I'm going to be put to shame if my hopes and my dreams are exposed to the purpose and the plan of God. Even if this imprisonment results in death, Paul is saying, my hopes are not going to be crushed. This morning, think about your hopes and dreams. What are they? If they don't come to fruition, will you be crushed when you consider your life When you consider all of your hopes and your dreams, do your hopes and dreams align with the plan and purpose of God? Or does your life align with Christ and his hopes and his dreams? Now, listen to the blank that Paul is going to ask us to fill on as he moves on. For me, verse 21, Paul says, to live is blank. One of the blanks we all have to fill in this morning. For me, to live is Christ. Then he goes on to say at the second half of verse 21, and to die is blank. Now, most of us don't think about the second blank. We typically think about the first blank, and we all fill it in subconsciously or consciously. By the way, verse 21 is one of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture. You may have it on a coffee mug in your uh, office. You may have it on a bumper sticker. You may have quoted on your computer screen. It's one of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture, and it's so rich, and making application of verse 21 is so crucial to us. We make application every single day, but I think it's important to consciously know how we're filling in the blank. So Paul makes application for himself. For me, he says, now think about this. For me, Paul says, living is Christ. Dying is, he says, gain. And these are the two blanks that every human has to fill in with their own meaning, with your own meaning. And regardless of what you say, by the way, what you do every single day either validates what you say or invalidates what you say because what we say and what we do every day, it's an indication of what we believe in, is the most important thing in life. And so everyone must fill in these two blanks this morning. For me, for you, to live is blank. To die is blank. Think of some of the things and some of the people in Philippi, and how they would have filled in their blanks. They're not much different from most of us today, but think about the people in Philippi that Paul's writing to. If you remember the story and you've read the book of Acts, you know that in Acts chapter 16, the church was started. There were three primary players there who came to faith in Christ. One of those was Lydia. Think about people like Lydia, merchants like Lydia. She was a dealer in fine linen. She was very wealthy. For a person in Philippi like Lydia, like many of us, Lydia may have filled in her blank by saying, living is... Money and comfort. 
Think about the Roman soldiers. In this day and age, being a soldier was one of the highest and uh, most elevated jobs you could have had. For a Roman soldier, they may have filled in the blank. Living is glory and fame. Think about the Roman jailer who eventually came to faith in Christ as one of the founding members in the church in Philippi. The Roman jailer may have filled in the blank before he came to Christ. Living is order and power. Think about the slave girl who came to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry. She was one of the founders at the church of Philippi. Before she came to faith in Christ, she may have filled in the blank like this. For me, living is freedom from being controlled, freedom from being abused. Think about the Jews that may have encountered the church in Philippi. For us, living is obedience to the law. Now think about this. Think about how long People, not just people in Philippi, but people today, go on living, having filled in these blanks with stuff that never saves, stuff that never satisfies, stuff that's never enough. Nobody leaves this blank empty. All of us fill it in some way with something. For me, to live is, listen to me, for me, to really feel like I matter, to feel like I'm somebody in this world. For me to ensure that today was a good and meaningful day. For me to live is what? We aren't different from the Philippians. We aren't different from the Philippians and how we finish our statements. Think about some of the ways that we may fill in the blank. For me, living is what? Pleasure, beauty, attention, sex, kids, a spouse, winning, you're a UCLA fan, it's probably not uh, what living means to you. Reputation, health, control. I don't know how you fill in the blank today, but all of us fill it in some way. And if you're not sure how you fill in the blank, can I ask you to do something real quick? Take out your phone. You're going to need it in a second. Can I ask you, if you're not sure how you would fill in the blank, living is what? Can I give you six just questions diagnostic questions you can begin to process. What does it mean to me? What does living to me mean? The first question is this, what am I most concerned about? Second question is, what would ruin my life if I failed at it or if I lost it? Number three, what do I pursue to comfort me? Number four, what's the focus of my hopes and dreams? Number five, what makes me feel worthy? In other words, Another way to say it is, what is the thing that I want people to know about me first? Number six, what unanswered prayer might make you or I think about turning away from God? Now, we don't have time to write a letter to ourselves in the message this morning, but I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to take your phone out, snap a picture of what's on the screen, and I seriously want to ask you to process these six questions at some point today or this week, look at it, answer those questions honestly. I think what we find is that there are some things in our life that we often fill in the blank with. By the way, <laughs> there are often some things that we fill in the blanks with, right? And it may surprise us that those blanks may not be Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, some of us may be fooling ourselves. And whatever it is, if it's not Christ, listen to me. If it's not Christ that you fill in the blank with, it's what we call a substituted idol. What is a substituted idol, Pastor? Anything that gets more weight. Anything that gets more glory. Anything that gets more importance in our eyes other than Jesus. One pastor said it like this. The trouble with idols is that when they shake, you shake. 
We need to fill in the blank this morning with something that does not shake. Paul filled in his blank. Paul's blank was, for me, living is Christ. For Paul to live, his life was lived for Christ. By the way, that's why this letter is so powerful. That's why this letter can speak to us so powerfully about uncommon joy. <laughs> because Paul experienced fear. He experienced humiliation. He's experiencing persecution. He's in prison. And listen, not even death, Paul says here in this verse, not even death could shake Paul. Nothing shook him. Why? Because the things he trusted in did not shake. We live in L.A. Maybe you're listening to this by podcast and listen and live in another part of the world. But, but we live in L.A. How many of you guys have experienced the earthquake? Some of you guys haven't lived here long enough to experience it. I've experienced my first one after three and a half years. I experienced my first one last year, and it was a weird experience. In fact, I had a family from Southeast Asia with us. We were sitting on the couch, and he pointed out, oh, my gosh, that's an earthquake. I was like, oh, my gosh, it is an earthquake. That's weird. Like the couch is shaking. It was strange to me. The experience of an earthquake, the physical experience of an earthquake is, is sort of this, it sort of mimics this internal reality that we experience when we trust idols. When things that we make our life shake, what happens? We tremble. When things we hope in don't come to fruition, they rattle us. Now listen, I think it's important here to follow the sequence of what Paul is saying, to follow the sequence of these shaky idols that you may fill in the blank with. Whatever you fill in the blank with, there is a corresponding second blank. Most of us, it's, it's, it's not in vogue to talk about death. Most of us don't consider death, but Paul's going to mention death here. And I think there's a reality of, of physical death. You're going to die. All of us are going to die. There's going to be a reality after death for all of us. But there's also a corresponding reality to the life that we live here based on how we fill in the blank. Let me try to explain it to you this morning. If you say, for me, living is money, then dying is a corresponding reality of being broke. In other words, if for you to live is money, then after you die, you won't take a hearse with you. You won't take a trailer with you. You don't take a bank account with you. If living for you is money, then dying means being broke. Or in this life, it also means if you trust in money, at some point that shaky idol is going to let you down. At some point, you're going to have the experience of being broke. If you say, for me, living is power then dying is being powerless. If you say, for me, living is pleasure, then dying is having no more fun. If you say, for me, living is beauty, then dying is, is being ugly or, or rotting in the grave. If you say, for me, living is getting attention, then dying is having nobody who cares about you. You gotta follow this sequence here because some of us are putting or filling in this blank with things that will not correspond to what you hope they correspond at some other point in life and especially after death. Whatever you live for, Paul says there's a corresponding gain or loss. Now, can I say this to you? And I hope you'd write it down. The only thing in life that you can live for and get more of is Jesus. The only thing in life that you can live for and then get more of in the second corresponding blank is Jesus. Now, now listen to me. I'm not 
speaking or preaching or downplaying money and power and beauty and attention this morning. But, but when we understand how the blanks should be filled in this morning, what we will come to understand is those things are simply gifts from God that he gives to us and he intends for us to steward them well. But listen, they're not intended to be the overarching theme of your life because the things that are temporal, anything other than Christ is temporal. The things that are temporal will not pass with you in to death. But if your life is being lived for Christ, as Paul says, then listen to me. Then death means life with Christ. <laughs> Do you understand that? If you're living for Christ, and that is the meaning and the purpose and the value in your life, then at death, what that means is you get more of what you were living for in life. And there's only one way to remove the stigma this undesirable reality about death that we don't like to talk about in our culture, and that is to make your life about Christ. Then and only then can you joyfully anticipate death because of what you enjoyed in life will only increase in death. If, if you had this confidence to say, now, for me, living is Christ, and what that implies is that Jesus is everything. And listen to me. Death is not your enemy. Death is your gain. You get more of what you hope for in this life. You cannot lose. You cannot lose. What it implies is that it's life that we have now. And then after life, you have even more life. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not going to be put to shame here. Because my hopes are not in temporal things. My hopes are not in circumstances or money or stuff or even people. My hope is in Jesus. So if I go on living, I'm going to still be hopeful. I will not be put to shame. I will get what I'm hoping for. But if I die, it's even better because I'm going to get more of what I hope for in this life. One author says it like this. When Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gained, he means it. If you want to kill me, I will be more than fine. I will get to be with Jesus. My death will be filled with Christ. And if you want me to live, I will press on in mission. My life will be filled with Christ. If you want to torture me or imprison me or mock me, I will trust in God. My suffering will make me more like Christ. And I will see it as a sharing of his own suffering. That's the idea. To live is knowing Christ, making him known. It's the only path to Christian maturity, the only path to hope and joy. And everyone has to fill in the blank this morning. How do you fill in the blank? Living is blank. So you don't have to worry about the second blank because whatever you fill in the first blank, the second blank will automatically be populated. Living is Blank. And so Paul is going to go on in this passage. He's going to show us and his readers sort of how to stabilize life with this uncommon joy that he's experiencing. He's going to go on to show us what it means to live for Christ. And it's not vague. It's, Paul's not saying just do better at life. Stop sucking at sin. It's much more precise what Paul's about to say. And so let's see what he says here and how he describes a life worth living. Verse 22, and if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. 
Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Verse 23, I'm torn between the two, life and death. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, because he gets more of what he hoped for in this life. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. His hope is tied to Jesus. Everything in his life is tied to Jesus. How he sees his circumstance in prison is tied to Jesus. How he sees his encouragement of the Philippian church, the church that he started, is tied to Jesus. Everything in his life is tied to Jesus. Therefore, if he goes on to live, his life will simply be more of Jesus. Convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26, so that my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So if Christ is what you live for, if that's what, how you fill in the blank, what's the result? What's the implication of living, being about Christ? Let me just try to conclude today with a few thoughts and try to give us a picture of what a life lived for Christ might look like. And I've got several statements here, and if you want to write them down, it may be beneficial to you. The first statement is this. This is, what, this is sort of a picture of what a life lived for Christ could look like, by the way. This morning, you may already know how you fill in the blank. And that blank may not be Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning to help you understand what life could be like if Jesus is what you live for. The first statement is this. There's nothing that could be taken away from me that would ruin my life. There is nothing that could be taken away from me that would ruin my life. In life, you understand this. Inevitably, we're going to lose people. We're going to lose places. We're going to lose reputations. We're going to lose things that are important to us. Reputations, close friends, homes, games. When we moved from Atlanta three and a half years ago, we lost some things in our life. And there was a season in our life where our joy was stolen because there were some things that, that were not taken away from us. We willingly gave them up, but we walked through this season where we, our joy was stolen because we continued to look back at what we had in the last season. Can I be honest with you this morning? Can I tell you today, three and a half years later, three years, this has been three, a three-year journey. People say, how can we pray for you, Pastor? Would you pray that Los Angeles would settle this home in our hearts? Can I tell you, I'm, I'm speaking for me and my family, is, we're all on this journey together. Jesus has filled the gaps. Jesus is filling the gaps. Listen to me. If living is Christ, there is nothing that can be taken away from you and I that would ruin our lives. If I live so that Christ is glorified, so that other people are built up in Jesus, listen to me, there will be things that I may lose in life, but I am confident Jesus will fill the gap. If Christ increases, listen to me, it won't matter how much I decrease, how many things in my life decrease, my joy will come from seeing Jesus elevated in my life. This is a reminder to us this morning. 
Paul is reminding us this morning to put our trust, our hope, our joy in things that if we live for, we will have more of in death. It's a reminder that we should enjoy the things in life that I could lose. I need to enjoy the things in life that, I could, that, I, that could disappear from me tomorrow. Why? Because they're just temporary gifts from God. Here's the second statement of what life could look like if I filled in the blank with living is Christ. Number two, I can enjoy things in life that bring comfort. I can enjoy things in life. Some people have these false ideas about how a Christian processes life and joy. Like, do I refrain from these things? Do I uh, extract myself from these things? Can I ever smile? Can I ever have joy? Do I live recluse from all of life? I can enjoy things in life that bring comfort. Why and how? But I don't have to depend on them. Why? Because they're short-lived. If living is Christ and I can enjoy things that bring comfort, but I'm not depending on them. Why? Because I know they could be taken away from me tomorrow. And if that's the case, how concerned should I be about things like money and things outside of those things being used for the purpose of furthering the kingdom of God? Listen to me. If I can enjoy the things that bring comfort but not depend on them, listen to the implication. It means that I'm freed from this anxiety of provision. I'm freed from the jealousy of others who have more things and better things. Why? My joy doesn't come from my circumstance. My joy comes from the opportunity in my circumstance. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. If I enjoy things that bring comfort, but I don't depend on them, listen to me, then it means that I rightly see things for what they are. So then I rightly see these temporal things, like money. It's not an object that I place my trust in. Open up your dollar bill today. Even the dollar bill reminds us of that today. In God we trust. I rightly see things for what they are. Money, then, is simply a tool. Listen to me, in which I honor God. You need to hear that. That's a distinct difference in saying money is a tool in which I glorify and satisfy myself. Because if it is, then you're going to look for it to bring comfort in your life. Instead, we should identify things in life for what they are and how they can honor God rather than ourselves. Listen, let me, let me be very practical. Tomorrow, is, I'm taking a day off. I do it every single Monday. It's my daughter's birthday. My mother-in-law is in town. We're going down to Newport Beach. We're spending a day together. If you don't have the right perspective of things in life that bring comfort, like a day off, then we may see a day off as something that, that where I just, it's for myself to indulge myself in mindless pleasure. But if you see things rightly for what they are, then a day off is a chance to renew myself for another week ahead to serve other people, to honor God with my health. You see things like a nice house. It's, it's not just an Instagram pic. It's not a status inflator. It's a tool to be used to honor the Lord and being hospitable, to help people grow in Christ, to be a place and a home where kids are raised to love Jesus. I can enjoy things that bring comfort, but I don't have to depend on them. Why? Because they're short-lived. They could be taken away from me tomorrow. I've got a beautiful home that I love and I praise Jesus for. The economy could crash tomorrow. I could lose my job and lose my home. But listen to me. I'm not dependent on the home for my joy. I see it for rightly for what it is. 
a vacation. It's not just this three-day break from crazy people in life. Vacation, if I rightly see it, it's a window of, op- it's a window of opportunity to grow in Jesus. The problem is, listen, our comforts use us as their tool to inflate themselves. Think about how money uses you. Money uses you as a tool to inflate itself. Think about how many people live in this city who are continuing to chase more money because money is using them as a tool to inflate its own reputation. The challenge is we should instead use those things as tools in our life and see them for what they are to bring honor to God. We should use our comforts as a tool to honor God with. And so if my life is lived for Christ, if I feel in the blank, living is Christ, then I can enjoy things that bring comfort. But in a way that does not make me codependent on them or required for joy. They're a tool to honor Jesus. Number three, I would have dreams and hopes that can't crush me If they don't happen, why? Because they're not self-centered. They're God-centered, and they're other-centered. My specific plans don't work out for my life. Then the Christian who says living is Christ would ultimately say my ultimate plan will always still be in place to grow in God. Pastor Matt, what if your hope to pastor a great church in L.A. that makes disciples and multiplies healthy new churches and start new churches in our city, what if it doesn't happen? then it doesn't happen. (laughs) Then it fails. (laughs) I moved to L.A. By the way, if I'm completely honest with you, if you would ask me 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, what is your your greatest fear? My greatest fear is failure. If my greatest fear is failure, it's an indication of a misplaced hope. There's been a process God has walked my entire life through to refine that, as I hope he is refining you to say this process he's walked us through in this season of life is not dependent on whether our hope and our dream of a church um, making disciples that makes disciples that multiplies healthy churches in our city. It's simply an opportunity for me to express the way God has wired me. My hopes and dreams are centered on the way God has wired me and to the best of my ability to honor him in that. I'm not just talking about me this morning. I hope you will put yourself in that situation. My dream and hope should be centered in Jesus. Growing in how he shaped me, how he's wired me, knowing more of him in the process. What happens is, as a result, it's not really up to me. So if my dreams and hopes fails and I'm not crushed, I get more of Jesus. Pastor Matt, should I have hopes and dreams? Yes. Yes, you should. With a caveat. Those hopes and dreams should be anchored in how God has wired you. How you can honor him. Don't anchor yourself in a dream or a hope that makes more of you. Because if you do, you will be crushed and your joy will be stolen. Number four, and I'm almost done. My self-worth would not be in my reputation, my accomplishments, or my personality, but it would be rooted in God's image that I bear and his love that is unconditional. 
I don't have to be noticed. You don't have to be noticed. I don't have to be appreciated. You don't have to be appreciated. I don't have to be applauded. You don't have to be applauded. There will always be someone who will not give you the credit you deserve. There will always be someone who will want to slander your reputation. But I'm freed, if living is Christ, from the need to constantly build myself up to impress others. You have the approval of heaven, by the way. You have the approval of heaven and the approval of the man that was made in heaven cannot give you worth. And that's true in abusive situations. You're continually to seek worth. It's also true in beautiful marriages where we adore the one that we're married to. They cannot give us worth. Only Jesus. I don't have to continue to prove myself to the people in my life. Why? Because my worth is rooted in Jesus. Now finally, Number five, there would be no unanswered prayer that could set me back. Why? Because I trust in the unshakable character of God. Have you ever taken a personality test, Enneagram, this personality? You're an activator, high D, ENFP. You thought about what your personality is, but may I challenge you as I close this morning? Have you ever thought about what God thinks about you? What God thinks about you? You are valuable. Matthew chapter 10, Psalm 139, I know the numbers of hairs on your head, and before a word is on your tongue, I know it. That's what God says about you and what he thinks about you. You are loved, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. You are new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are thought about, Psalm 139, 18. If I would count the number of your thoughts towards me, this is God speaking to us, they would outnumber the grains of sand. You are chosen, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's how God thinks about you. How does that relate to unanswered prayer? Oftentimes we think unanswered prayer is the indication of a God who withholds something from us. Like, I didn't get it, God. Why are you withholding it from me? Well, that implies that we have this predetermined idea of what is best for us. But listen to me. If Christ is my unswerving life and trust, listen to me, then unanswered prayer is not the indication of a God who is withholding something from me. What is it then? Unanswered prayer is the indication of God's enduring, patient, transforming, unconditional love for you. He withheld it because it's not good for you. If your life is Christ, you can see unanswered prayer as God's unconditional love for you. That's a picture, a brief picture of what it would be like if you filled in the blank Living is Christ. How do you fill in the blank? What's living for you? Can I close with this quote? When history as the world knows it no longer exists, and there are no longer any great kings or great wars or great political machinations, 
when there are no histories of countries left to cherish, no more dollars, when it's no longer the strong versus the weak, and all that's left is the story of the great God and King, and all has been righted. And the heroes are now the missionaries and the ministers of grace, of which every believer can be, and our eyes behold him as he truly is. Words fail. That is where our heart ought to be. Is that where your heart is this morning? How do you fill in the blank? What is living to you? Is it Christ? I would imagine this morning if we would allow God to mine the depths of our heart and our soul, we would probably come to the disappointing reality that most days it's not Christ. If you're a believer this morning, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to take today and this week and even this moment as we sing one last song to ask God, if you're still not sure, ask God, God, what is my blank? How do I fill it in? Ask God to reveal that to you. And if it's not Jesus, then the proper response is what the Bible calls repentance. Turning from that thing you're trusting in and fixing your eyes on Jesus. Last thing, and then I'm done. But what if you've never trusted Christ? What if you've never filled in the blank as being Christ as your life? Have you ever come to that moment in your life where you realize who you are, God created you and he loves you, there's a problem between you and God called sin, there's not a resolution to that problem called sin, the result is death both in this life and the next, but God and his glorious, wonderful, awesome love for us died on the cross. Have you ever trusted your life to that? Have you ever given, have you ever been saved? That's what the scripture calls. Nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't make you say anything you don't want to say, make you stand on stage or embarrass you. In this moment, if you've never trusted your life to Jesus, I want to invite you into that relationship with him. Right there where you sit. Have a moment with him. Tell him who you are and what you've realized and ask him to save you today. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the challenge of Scripture this morning. The experience of Paul. Thank you for your wonderful, unconditional, matchless love you have towards us, Lord. God, today I pray by the Spirit of the living God you bring us face to face, square to square, Lord, with how we're filling in that blank. May today be the day by the Spirit of the living God that we determine rightly to place you where you belong, to rightly see things for what they are, to not allow things to use us, but we use them for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.